Now it's on. I hit the button again, and I'd already turned it on. That's the problem. All right. Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter number 4. While you're turning there, I'll take just a few moments and tell you a little bit more about what's going on here uh, in New England now as far as Rock of Ages is concerned. Uh, I did get a phone call yesterday uh, from a chaplain at Merrimack County Jail there in New Hampshire. Uh, he told me that he was actually allowed back into the uh, pods where the inmates are this week. It's the first time he's been allowed back since COVID happened. Um, and then he asked when they was allowing volunteers back, and they are allowing volunteers back in two weeks. So Lord willing, in two weeks, uh, things at least there will begin to open up. Uh, so we're praying that God would do that all across New England and open up doors here in New England. Uh, we've got, there's over 80, almost 90 facilities here in New England, and uh, we want to try to get in as many as we possibly can. We don't want to just sit around and twiddle our thumbs or anything like that. We want to get involved, because here's the thing. So, Brother Matthew, why do you want to be so busy? Because if I'm in, even if I'm just in 10 facilities, that's 10 facilities worth of people that has the opportunity to be able to hear the gospel of Christ and get saved by the grace of God and have their lives changed. And here's the thing. A lot of times you'll talk to inmates and they'll say, well, you know, I'm trying to do better. And what they really just need is Jesus. And Jesus will make it to where they can do better. Amen. Make it to where they, he, Jesus will change their life from the inside out instead of them trying to change it from the outside in. Jesus to change it from the outside or from the inside out, and that's our goal. Uh, now, a couple weeks ago, uh, the first week of May was actually Corrections Week, National Corrections Week, and we had the opportunity to be able to uh, provide bags and what the bags had in them on the back table. But there, there's a New Testament back there for uh, first responders. I might want to go by and take a look at that, by the way. Uh, but there's a bag, there's a New Testament back there that has a cover on it for first responders. But there's all, we also make one that are for corrections officers. It has a custom cover on it and everything. And I don't have one with me because I actually gave out all the ones that I had made up and everything. But the bags that we made up, they had a bottle of water, um, three or four or five pieces of candy in it, uh, some granola bar, or a granola bar, crackers, and some trail mix. And also I had several gospel tracts and things like that in there. Also I had a personal letter in there from me, uh, just saying, just telling them thank you for what they're doing to help uh, do or to help keep the ones in there safe. Because here's the thing, you don't stop and think about this, but a correctional officer they have two different aspects of their job, really, because they're trying to keep the ones that are in there safe, but they're also trying to keep them in. And sometimes those two, the one takes priority over the other one. They obviously want to keep them in because they're not allowed to go anywhere. But at the same time, somebody asked me the other day, they said, Brother Matthew, why are you going after the correctional officers? Because if we can see the correctional officers get saved, that it changed that facility. And then whenever we come in to do a revival or we come in to do a service or anything like that, we have a whole lot more freedom inside that facility. Whereas if we're going in, there's not a saved individual in there. there the Merrimack County Jail, where Lord willing, will be able to start something here for too long. Um, there's 
three different ones that I believe, I believe it's three different officers that's there that are already professing Christians, that they live it. One of them actually goes to our home church there. But there are several different ones that uh, have made professions of faith and things of that nature. And it always makes it easier for, to go inside of a facility and be able to minister and things of that nature whenever there's a uh, saved person in charge. But also, I want you to help me pray about this uh, on Tuesday. Uh, Rockingham County. Anybody know where Rockingham County is in New Hampshire? Um, Rockingham County just, uh, their chaplain retired. And I had been already been talking to him and making uh, some different head, or making some, uh, trying to build a relationship with him to where whenever things did open back up, I could come in and be able to have services and things like that. And he has since retired. And from what I understand, they still have not filled that position. So, Lord willing, on Tuesday, I'm going to head down there and drive down there and see if I can talk to somebody and see if they would take a volunteer chaplain. Would you say, well, Brother Matthew, why wouldn't you just take a paid position? If I take a paid position, I have to give out anything and everything. If I'm a volunteer, I only have to give out King James Bibles. I only have to give out material that I agree with as opposed to having to give out anything and everything. So, y'all make that matter of prayer. Uh, Lord willing, I'm going to drive down on Tuesday morning to see if I can talk to somebody down that way and be able to get in there and be able to hopefully start having services and things like that. I've already, with the chaplain that was there, I've already uh, gotten some material in there. They're already, some of the inmates are already familiar with Rock of Ages and things of that nature. I've already been able to get some Bibles and some different material in there. And I'm actually, uh, from that, I have two different individuals or three different individuals that have reached out and started the discipleship program uh, that we have with Rock of Ages that are from there. So y'all make that a matter of prayer. Pray that God will open the doors that he wants us to walk through, but also shut the doors he doesn't want us to walk through. Because in my mind, it would make sense. It would save them money and it would give me an open door. But I don't want to walk through that door if God doesn't want us to walk through that. So y'all help me pray about that, all right? Uh, Ephesians chapter number 4, I want to give you what the Lord has for us this evening. And y'all said amen whenever you heard I was coming back next month. After we get done this afternoon, you might be saying, oh me, all right? Uh, but I want to try to give you what the Lord's laid on our heart for this afternoon. I'll tell you like Elizabeth Taylor, I think it's Elizabeth Taylor told her fifth husband, I won't keep you long, all right? Uh, I'm, I'm full. I had way too many of them cookies that Miss Jess made, and uh, yeah, I don't know, I don't know. Anyway, all right, Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to try to get my head together here. Ephesians chapter 4, when you find your place, if you're willing and able, let's stand in reverence to the reading of the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to begin reading in verse number 1, and we'll read all the way down through verse number 16, all right? Verse number 1, the Bible says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Now, I want to say this this afternoon. I'm glad that I believe in one God. I don't believe, I believe in one God in three different parts, all right? I still believe the doctrine of the Trinity, but here's the thing. I don't believe in many gods this evening. I've not got all these little statues set up and things like that. 
I worship the one true God. Amen. Verse number 7, the Bible says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto me. And now that he ascended, what is it? But that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. And he, he that descended is the same also that ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith, unity of the faith, excuse me, and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature for, of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up in him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplied, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. And then you can be seated for the message from the Word of God this afternoon. All right, our Heavenly Father, as we come to your presence to pray, I want to thank you for this day. Thank you for your many blessings. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege and the opportunity you've given me to stand and preach your Word one more time today. Thank you for the opportunity to stand behind the sacred desk one more time and be able to preach the blessed Word of God. Now, Lord, I pray that you'd help us this afternoon. Lord, I pray that you give me a fresh touch, a fresh anointing. From on high, Lord, I pray that you bring back to my remembrance the things I've studied. Lord, I pray that you'd have your perfect will away this afternoon. Lord, I pray that you put a watch care about my mouth. Help me not to do or say anything that will grieve or quench your Holy Spirit. But Lord, I pray that you'd help me to do and say everything that you won't said and done for your honor and your glory this afternoon. Lord, I pray that you'd help us not to leave here the same way that we came in. But Lord, help us to leave here being challenged by the Word of God and changed by the Spirit of God. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you for it's in your Son's holy, wonderful, precious name we pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much for standing. Here in the book of Ephesians, I want to just give you several things by way of introduction. I've got a long introduction and a short thought, all right? So y'all bear with me this morning. But just by way of introduction, the book of Ephesians is divided into three different parts. And you're in the first part right now in your study. The Christian and his blessings, chapter 1 through chapter 3, verse 21. Then in chapter 4, verse number 1 through chapter 6, verse number 9, we see the Christian and his behavior, and that's where we've been at today. But then in verse number 10 of chapter 6 through chapter, chapter 6, verse 24, the remainder of the book, we see the Christian and his battles. And no doubt in the Christian life there is battles that occur in this Christian life. But in verse number 1 down through verse number 16 that we've read, I want to just give you something from uh, a thought from this text here, just by way of introduction, then we'll get into the message. You see, number one, we see the greatness of this body in verse number one through verse number six. Verse number one through verse number three, Paul talks about its uniqueness. As he says in verse number verse number one, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, or I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness with long-suffering, forbearing one another, in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, if that don't sound unique to me and unique to you, I don't know what would. 
Because the world does not practice this. The world does not try to, the world doesn't have the lowliness, the meekness with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So we see its uniqueness. But then in verse number 4 through verse number 6, we see its unity. As the Bible says, for there is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called, in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, uh, one God and Father of all who is above all and through you all, or through all and in you all. So we see the unity of this body. Here's the thing. Whenever you get to this body, this Christian body, this body of believers, Paul begins to talk about that there is unity there, and the reason why there is unity is because of the fact that we, ought, that we do serve one Lord. There is one God, there is one Father, and it makes up one God, and beside Him there is none else. So we see the greatness of this body. But then in verse number 7 through verse number 16, we see the gifts of this body. Verse number 7, he talks about grace to accompany these gifts. In verse number 7, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Here's the thing. Sometimes the gift that he gives you is going to take grace to be able to handle that. Whenever you stop and think about it, some people have been given the gift to teach. Some have been given the gift to, uh, t- or to preach. And some have been given the gift to serve and things like that. But if we're not careful, what will happen is we'll begin to get built up in pride and we won't be able to handle that gift properly. Paul's talking about the grace to accompany that. But then he also talks about, in verse number 8 through verse number 13, he talks about gifts to accompany grace. As he says in verse number 8, Wherefore hath he said, when he ascended upon high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And he goes on down through here in verse number 11. He mentions five different gifts here in verse number 11. And we're going to get to those here in just a second. But then in verse number 12, he tells us why he gave those gifts. He said, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Can I say this this afternoon? God didn't give you the gift that he gave you for you. He gave it to be used for him and in turn to be used for the body of Christ. Here's the thing. Some people have the gift of gab. They don't meet a stranger. They don't never, they don't know anything about a stranger. As a matter of fact, they walk up to somebody, they walk up to somebody random on the street corner, don't bother them at all, just stuck up a conversation. Some people have that gift, but that gift was not given to them for them. That gift was given to them for him and to be used for him. You talk, I'm thinking of a young man right now. He's 18, 19 years old. And whenever, or he, set, he was 17, 18 years old. A Southern Gospel group reached out to him, and this guy could sing like a mockingbird. I mean, he could sing. He could pick up any instrument. He could play it. didn't matter whether it was a piano, guitar, bass. It didn't matter. He could play anything you put his hand on. And whenever he started using that, he started singing, and he started traveling with this group. Well, then before you know it, he started using his gift for himself. He went to singing in bars. Went to singing country music and all this other stuff. He said, Brother Matthew, is there something wrong with country music? Well, it's not glorifying to God. I'll say it that way, all right? That went over like a lead balloon. Anyway, we're going to move on, all right? But here's the thing. If it don't glorify God, our ears ought not be listening to it. The same with contemporary, the same with country, the same with rap and rock and all this other stuff, and the same with the stuff that the world wants to label as Christian music. 
I can't get sidetracked. Although I will say this, there's no such thing as Christian rap, Christian rock. And just because the song has the word God in it does not make it a Christian song. There's a song that the radio station back in Georgia where we used to live, there's a song that they used to sing or used to play all the time called Long Black Train by Josh Turner. Played it on a Southern Gospel radio station. And if you've ever heard that song, if you've ever heard that song, if you can please tell me after church how in the world that's a gospel song, I'd love to hear it. There ain't the only thing that I can figure is because it says God in it. Here's the thing our gifts that we're given, they're not for us. Now, the devil, what he'll do is he'll try to take us and try to get us to use our gifts for us. You look at a lot, I think it was Elvis Presley. He started out singing in church. Had a tremendous voice. God gave him that ability. And the devil sidetracked him and got him to use it for his benefit. We see not only the gifts or the grace to accompany, or gifts to accompany grace, but then we see not just the gifts of this body, the greatness of this body, but in verse number 14 through verse number 16, we see the growth of this body. But in verse number 11, he mentions five different things. He says he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And I want to just, can I give you the, can I summarize these five gifts real quick and I'll get right into my thought. Verse number 11, we see those, first off, we see those that are gifted to deal with situations. That's the apostles and the prophets. Though the prophet, or excuse me, the apostles was those that was gifted to guide the infant church in the way it ought to go. How many would under, how many would agree with me this afternoon? We're not an infant church anymore. We have been firmly established. Whether you believe the church started the day of Pentecost, whether you believe it started wherever you believe it started, whether you believe that it started whenever Peter said, "Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against." Wherever you believe the church started, we're no longer in our infancy stage. And he goes on, he talks about not just those that's gifted, to, those equipped to, go, to guide the infant church, but then he also talks about those that are equipped to guard the infant church. And that's the prophets. Those, they was there to instruct the uh, infant church and what it ought to know. But then we also see those that are gifted to deal with sinners. And that's the evangelist. We still have those today. We still have men that have come in, and I almost said men and women, but we still have men that have come in and they'll, they'll preach, and God's given them that ability to be able to paint hell in a picture or paint salvation in a picture that it, it moves men and women to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He's given them that gift of evangelism. But then he goes on, he talks about in verse number 11 as well, he says some evangelists and some pastors. The last two gifts are talking about those that are gifted to deal with saints. The pastors, that's the ones that's called to tend the flock of God. They're the ones that's supposed to be the shepherd. We understand that Jesus is the chief shepherd. We understand that He is the one that ultimately at the end of the day is in, in charge. But we also have an under-shepherd. And that's the one that's tending to this flock. He's not tending to other people's flocks. He's tending to this flock. 
So we see the pastor, but then we also see the teacher, those that are called to teach the flock of God. You ever, y'all know what dispensationalism is, right? We had a teacher in Bible college, and you asked my wife, my wife sent back here. We had a teacher in Bible college, and he, there's eight dispensations in preaching. I'll be honest, I, I was as confused as a termite in a wooden yo-yo. I'm thinking, how in the world? Some of y'all got that, all right? I'm glad you got that joke. Thank you, I appreciate that. I'll pay you 20 bucks after we leave, all right? I'm just kidding. But here's the thing. He got in there, and he, it was the first night of Dispensational Truth, and we was using Clarence Larkin's book on Dispensational Truth. And I don't know if you have that book or not, but brother, when you pick up that book, yeah, it's intimidating. We'll just put it that way. This book is probably about as wide as my Bible and <laughs> stand about that. And all. I'm thinking, how in the world am I going to understand this? You know what he does? He comes in and he has eight different liquids. And he says, all right, this one represents this dispensation. And he poured it into a cooler. It's all right, this one represents this dispensation he poured it into. You know what, by the time he got done, it made sense. You know why? He's been given the gift to teach. I don't have that gift sometimes. Depending on the topic, I can teach on it, and as long as I have plenty of time to study it out. <laughs> but a lot of times, I'll defer to someone else. Why? Because sometimes teaching is not my strong suit. But God gives people that ability to be able to teach. There's a Sunday school teacher that we had at our church down in Georgia. Man, he could get up and he'd almost preach. He wasn't a preacher, but he was, he'd get up and he'd almost preach. So what? He'd make stuff make sense. God had given him that ability to teach. And while we're sitting here, you're probably thinking to somebody in your mind, yeah, I love to hear them teach. You know why? God's given them that ability to make it make sense. We see that. But I'll say this, the gifts, in the, the gifts of the apostles and prophets, when we know this, were foundational. We see that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 20. We're not going to take the time to go there. I don't want to rain on Brother uh, Richard's parade, all right? But we see that they were foundational and unique to the early church. We have missionaries and preachers today, but we do not have apostles and prophets. These gifts were temporary and transitional, intended to help the church become established according to the Holy Spirit's plans. The gifts and apostles, the gifts of the apostles and prophets died out with the end of the first century and with the completion of the New Testament canon of Scripture. Do you know why there was apostles and prophets? We didn't have this book. Guess what? Now that we have this book, we don't need them no more. You know, somebody made this statement one time. They said, because a lot of times whenever you get into this apostles and prophets, you get into the speaking in tongues and all this stuff. And somebody made the statement one time, said if women would quit speaking in tongues, tongues movement would die a natural death in 30 days. Anyway, that's free. That won't cost you nothing, all right? But look at verse number, let's get into the text. This evening. I've been preaching for a while now, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this, and we'll go home, all right? Verse number 13. Well, the Bible says this, and we're going to look at verse 12 through verse number 16 in depth, but I want to look at verse number 13 for our text. He said, Till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What is he talking about a perfect man? Can't none of us be perfect, right? What's he talking about perfect man? He's talking about a mature man. 
Verse number 13, the last part, he says, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Can I give you four things this afternoon that I believe Paul gives us in this passage of Scripture on the marks of a mature Christian? The marks of a mature Christian. We talked about that a little bit in Sunday school this morning. And I want to just look at the mature Christian this morning and see exactly what, what, he look, what he or she looks like. Number one, go to verse number 12 with me. The Bible says in verse number 12, For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Number one, I believe Paul is telling us that a mature Christian will be stimulating others. They'll be building them up. I've got three things wrote down here. Number one, as part of this stimulating others, they'll be instructing, verse number, 13, or verse number 12, for the perfecting of the saints. Well, here's the thing. If I know how to do something and I see you doing it wrong, I want to help you fix that. And I'm going to try my best to do it in a way that you don't get offended by me telling you, hey, this is a better way of doing this. A mature Christian, that's what they do. A mature Christian is one that will take a young Christian under their wings, so to speak, and say, hey, let me teach you. Let me instruct you. This is how we do this. This is why we do this. A young Christian is not going to know, well, this is why we believe the King James Bible is the Word of God. A young Christian's not going to know what we believe about the doctrine of salvation and things like that. They're not going to know those things, but it's up to a mature Christian to instruct them. Not only they instruct them, but then verse number 12, he says, for the work of the ministry. Not only are they instructing, they're also invigorating. They're energizing people. That's those people that when you have a work day, they come in and they say, all right, let's do this. Let's get her done. They don't show up in a bad attitude. They come in, they're ready to work, they're pumped, they're ready to work. And while they might not all be, they might not come in and they might not be shouting from the rooftops, they also don't complain the whole time they're there either. They're energizing, they're stimulating others. But then he also talks about in verse number 12, he says, for the edifying of the body of Christ, they're inspiring others. Let me ask you a question. If we was to take a show of hands this afternoon, I'd say that looking around the room, I'd say there's people in here that's probably been saved for at least 10 years. I'd say that's probably a pretty safe guess. Might even be able to go on up to 20 years, depending on whoever it is. Times two, is that what you said? 42 years. Okay? But let me ask you a question. If you've been saved for any length of time at all, let me ask you a question. Does your life stimulate others? Do you do what Paul's talking about? Are you one of those that you're instructing, you're invigorating, and you're inspiring? Are you one of those that sits around and, and I don't know why we're doing that? I we see a mature Christian, they're stimulating us. Verse number 13, verse number 14, Paul tells us that another mark of a mature Christian, number two, is that they're stable. Verse number 13, verse number 14, till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children 
tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lay in wait to deceive. A mature Christian is a stable Christian. He tells us three things about a stable Christian. Number one, he tells us that they're stable because they're godly. Verse number 13, he said, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He said, hey, the reason why they're stable is because they're holy. They're godly. They know what the book says. They don't have need, like Paul talked about in Hebrews chapter number 5, they don't have need that you be taught again the first oracles. They know those things because they read their Bible. They have a prayer life. I promise you this afternoon, I promise you, you will not find a mature Christian that does not have a devotion time and a prayer life. I promise you. Why? Because the only way that you're going to continue to grow in your Christian life is if you're in this book and if you're on your knees. So, Brother Matthew, I can't get on my knees. I can't neither. Welcome to the club. I hate getting on my knees. I've been on my knees all week long putting caulk around baseboards about to drive me crazy. Get up and you're like, oh, man, I'm so glad I'm up. When I pray, can I be honest with you? I don't pray on my knees. But you know what I do? I find me a chair off by myself somewhere. And I spend time with God. You know why? It's not about the posture. It's not. There's a lady that I used, whenever I was 17, 18 years old, or probably 19 years old, I preached at a nursing home every Sunday afternoon for two and a half years. And this lady's name, her name was Kathleen Bohan. I still remember the oxygen day. She didn't tell me, she said, you're going to be on TV one day. <laughs> she ain't been right about that yet. <laughs> Depending on, unless you count that, unless you count live stream as TV, all right? She, she used to tell me, she said, you're going to be on TV one day. She said, I mean, she'd build me up. She'd encourage me. You know what? There towards the end, right before she died, she couldn't get out of the bed no more and everything, and I'd go down there on Sunday afternoons after I got done preaching, and she'd say, Brother Matthew, I could hear you all the way down here. She said, you was feeding my soul, and I'm like, praise God. Glad I was feeding somebody because it wasn't going nowhere, I felt like. And she'd tell me, she said, Brother Matthew, she said, you just need to rear back and just preach on hellfire and brimstone <laughs> every Sunday. That's what she wanted me to preach on. But you know what? She'd lay down there in that hospital bed. And I'd go down there and see her after I got done with service, and she'd say, been praying for you. She couldn't get out of that bed. She couldn't do nothing but lay in that bed. Do you know what she'd do laying in that bed? She'd run through. She had a list. Her mind still sharp as a tack. She had a list she'd run through. Different people she was praying for. And she'd just lay there in the bed almost all day long and just pray. So, but Matthew, what, what is it? That's a mature Christian. And they're stable because they're godly, but then all of that, and this is kind of simplistic, but they're stable because they're grown. You know, the older my kids get, the worse, the less I worry about them losing their balance and falling. They're grown. I mean, they're not, y'all don't misunderstand. They're not grown. 
But I don't have to worry about them falling as much as I did whenever they were six months old. You know why? Because they're getting older. Paul says in verse number 14, he said, That we henceforward be no more children tossed to and fro, with every, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. That word, those to and fro, that's talking about the surging of the sea. They're being tossed about with every wind of doctrine. You know why people, they leave this church and they go to this church and then they go to this church and then they go to this church and they go to this church and, to this church and before too long they're back at the first church they started at? You know what's happening? They're being tossed about with every wind of doctrine. They don't know what they believe. Can I encourage you, if you don't get anything else from what I'm saying this afternoon, I encourage you to do this for me this week. Go home, figure out what you believe about the King James Bible. Don't just take your preacher's word for it. Go home, figure out what you believe about the King James Bible. Go home and figure out what you believe about salvation. Is it truly for every man, woman, boy, and girl? Or is it, well, this one's been predestined to go to heaven. This one's been predestined to go to hell. You say, Brother Matthew, that ain't even in the Bible. I know. But if you don't know what this book says, then whenever it comes your way, you know what's going to happen? You'll be swept along with it. We see they're stable because they're godly. They're stable because they're grown. But then only that, they're stable because they're, because they're grounded. The Bible says in verse number 14, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. You know, a mature Christian is one that the pastor could call on to preach, teach, whatever, while he's gone or to teach a Sunday school class and not have to worry about what was being said. I used, whenever you pastor it, you'd look at things a little differently, I reckon. I pastored for a couple of years and I thought I knew everything there was to know about pastoring. And then I found out in the first week I didn't have a clue. <laughs> You know what? As a pastor, though, you look at it differently. Because as a missionary, man, I come in, I blow up, I blow out. You know, no big deal. I'm, the pastor's taking care of that, right? But you know what? Your pastor has a job to do. He has a job to protect each one of you. You know, if he had somebody come in here that began to preach on, that begin to teach and preach Calvinism, he would have a responsibility to protect you from that. He would have a responsibility to protect you from someone that came in and said, well, you know, I understand they're different, but they're all the same, really, talking about books, of, talking about versions of the Bible. They're all the same. They're all translated by men. Here's the thing. He has a responsibility to protect you from that, but you know what a stable Christian, when, some, when they come across something like that, they'll take a stand. Because they're grounded in what they believe. Can I ask you a question this afternoon? You ever, maybe you've stopped and thought, well, I wonder why the preacher don't call on me to do stuff. Can I venture a guess? This is probably ain't the reason, but it might be the reason. Maybe you're not mature enough. Maybe you don't know what you believe. Oh man, I could have filled in for the Sunday school class this morning. Why didn't he call me? He said, Brother Matthew, you're meddling, I know. And I'm enjoying every minute of it too. 
I wish y'all could see a smile. <laughs> but here's the thing. A stable or a mature Christian will be stable because they're grounded in what they believe. I read there's a, something going around on Facebook. You've probably seen it. Something going around on Facebook about the rapture and different things. And as soon as I saw it, something in my heart said, that ain't right. Back whenever they started talking about the vaccine. Oh, that's the mark of the beast. What? Last time I checked, we ain't going through one second of the tribulation. Last time I checked, last time I read this book, I just finished up, I just finished up Revelations and started over again in Matthew and my New Testament. And last time I read Revelation, we leave in chapter 4, verse 1. We ain't going through one second of the tribulation. Anyway, a stable, a mature Christian, they're stimulating others, they're stable. But then only that, they speak. Now this, verse number 15, let me read, my, read the verse. He says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. You know what I've noticed about mature Christians? They don't speak a lot. But when they do speak, they really say something. Verse number 15, he tells us th two things about this speaking. Number one, he tells us that they speak the truth, but they do it in love. Their goal is not to hurt somebody, but rather is to help somebody. When you come up to a mature Christian and say, hey, what do you think about this? Nine out of ten times, they're not going to tell you what they think. They're going to tell you what the Bible says. Because here's the thing, at the end of the day, it don't matter what I think. It don't even matter what you think. It matters what that book says. There used to be a song whenever I was growing up that said, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. No. God said it, and that settles it. No matter whether I believe it or not, God said it, and that settles it. It's enough. Now here's the thing. A mature Christian, you know what they'll do? They'll speak, but they'll speak the truth with compassion. But then in the midst of them speaking the truth with compassion, number two, go to the last part of verse number 15 with me. He says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things which is the head, even Christ. You know what, it, you know what Paul tells us? He said, a mature Christian, they'll speak the truth in love, they'll speak with compassion, but they'll also speak with the consciousness that Christ is the head. Newsflash, you're not the Holy Ghost. And neither am I. You know what so often times we try to do? We try to say, well, you know, you ought not be doing that. You know, I'm committed. And don't misunderstand. I understand. Let me preface what I'm fixing to say by saying this. I understand that there are certain situations that you have to deal with immediately. I understand that. And it shouldn't be a church member dealing with it. If it's something affecting church, it ought to be the pastor. Y'all notice that I keep going back to that? Why? Because the pastor is the one that answers to God for things that goes on here. But whenever you're dealing with, you know, I'm convinced of this. This is what I was going to say. I'm convinced that if we'll just get somebody in their Bible and we'll help disciple them along the way and we'll be there to answer their questions and we'll encourage them, hey, read your Bible. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. I mean, I am... I believe this, well, I'm a, that if we'll encourage someone to do that, 
We won't have to be the Holy Ghost in their lives. The Holy Ghost to do His job. And it won't be us doing it. Because see, here's the thing. If somebody gives something up for the preacher, when that preacher leaves, guess what they'll do? They'll go back to doing it. Because it wasn't in their heart. But if God the Holy Ghost deals with it, says, hey, this is wrong. You need to fix this. You know what happens? Then they get rid of it because the Holy Ghost said to get rid of it. And when the pre- it don't matter whether the preacher changes or not. They're not changing because they know what God's already done in their heart. Can I say this? Whenever God does something in the heart, it always lines up with Scripture. There's been a lot of occult started. Well, I feel like God wants me to do this. Okay, well that goes contrary to the Word of God. If it goes contrary to this book, then guess what? You're wrong, it's not. Let me move on. Speaking, a mature Christian is, they're stimulating others, they're stable, they're speaking the truth. But then number four, and I'm done, verse number 16. He says, from the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. A mature Christian, not only they be stimulating others, they'll be stable, they'll be speaking, but number four, they'll be serving. Paul tells us three things about this service. Number one, they're working together. The Bible says in verse number 16, from the whole body, fitly joined together. A mature Christian, they won't be pulling the opposite direction from what everybody else is pulling. Can I tell you, a mature Christian won't be the thorn in the pastor's side. A mature Christian to be the one that says, hey pastor, I'm, on, I'm with you. I'm with you. If you want to do this, let's do it. I'm of the persuasion that as long as it don't go against Scripture and the preacher says, hey, let's do it. Alright, let's do it Right. You want to spend some money? All right, let's spend some money. All right. <laughs> I'm all for spending money, especially if it's not mine. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I really don't like spending money. But you know what? There's times that, that we've been in church. I've been in different churches and seen different things go on. And pastors say, that guy right there, everything I want to do, he opposes me. I'd hate to be that guy on Judgment Day. You say, Brother Matthew, what if it goes against Scripture? Then you ought to oppose him. But if he's being led by God, and he's got his prayer life right, and he's got his Bible reading time right, and he's got his walk right, then guess what? Anything that he says, hey, I think we ought to do this, it'll be in line with this book. And can I say, who cares what color the carpet is? Who cares what color the chairs are? Who cares what color the background is? I talked to a guy the other day. He said, I just got to the point I got tired of fighting about stuff. I just do it. And he said, usually they end up liking what I was going to do. And he said, if it's a big decision, he said, then I give them two options that I'd be okay with. But here's the thing. A mature Christian, stuff like that won't matter to them. We see they, they're working together. They're fitly joined together. But then not only that, they're working towards a common goal. The Bible says according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase 
of the body of its, unto the edifying of itself in love. You know what the goal of the Christian life is? It's to reproduce. And when a mature Christian and other when mature Christians get together, you know what happens? Reproduction takes place. You know why? Because they realize, you know what, we're in this thing together and we're all working together and we're all working towards a common goal. They're not pulling this direction and pulling that direction. They're working together. We've seen only that not only are they working together, they're working towards a common goal, but number three, and I'm done. They're working totally. They're giving it all they got. They're not holding anything back. Whenever they say, all right, we're going to have work day at church, they're there. Whenever they say, all right, we're going to go out on visitation, if, any, if they are physically able to be there, they're going to be there. Why? Because they're working together and they're working towards a common goal and they're giving it everything they got. They used to, I used to play football when I was growing up and they used to tell us this. They said, leave it all on the field. Give it all you got. You know what I've done? I've tried my best to do that with this Christian life. I may not be the best preacher. I may not be the best teacher. I may not even be the best missionary. But you know what? I want you to know this afternoon, if you don't know anything else about Matthew Frank, Matthew Frank does everything that he possibly can to do everything that he possibly can. Why? Because here's the thing. Everything I've ever done, I've done it full force. Everything. Whether it's play football, whether it was sales. If you can sell somebody an Apple Watch over the phone, I mean, you... But I, you know why? You know how I got there? I, it was to the point there before I left my job at T-Mobile before we went, when we went full-time in the ministry. It was to the point that they was having me train other people on how to over the phone. I don't want you to think I'm bragging on me, but I'm illustrating this point. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it all the way. If I'm going to tear a vehicle up, I'm going to tear it all up. All right? If I'm going to serve God, I want to give it everything i got. Why? Because this world needs Jesus. Your family needs Jesus. My family needs Jesus. Your friends need Jesus. This community needs Jesus. This country needs Jesus. And here's the thing. We can, go to all, we can go to any church in America and we can find people that are willing to sit on a church pew and do absolutely nothing. We can find it. I promise you we can find it. But a mature Christian, they're the ones that's given their all. Can I ask you a question this morning or this afternoon? The preacher's coming. Are you a mature Christian? I didn't ask if you was here Sunday morning, Sunday night. I didn't ask that. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I didn't ask that. I asked if you're a mature Christian. I didn't ask if you've been saved for 20 and 30 years either. I asked if you're a mature Christian. See, I know men and women both that they've only been saved for three or four years, but they're further down the road spiritually in their maturity level 
than people that's been saved for 20 and 30 and 40 years. Are you a mature Christian? If you're not, can I encourage you this afternoon? Get whatever it is right in your life that's holding you back and move forward for the honor and the glory of God. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for the privilege and opportunity you give me to stand and to preach your word this afternoon. Thank you, Lord, for this place. Thank you, Lord, for this pastor. Thank you for these people. Lord, I pray that you take this message now. You'd use it for your honor and your glory. Bless as the preacher comes to close this service however he sees fit. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We only mature, we only become that perfect man as we are renewed in the spirit of our mind. Paul says it like this in Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. He says it like this in chapter 5 of Ephesians, be filled with the spirit. It's about how we submit to the word of God, to the spirit of God in our lives. And God doesn't call us just to be saved calls us to grow. The picture of a Christian is supposed to be that of Psalms chapter 1. That tree planted by the river of water. And that river is the word of God. Amen. And as we, as we allow the, the word of God to flow through us, the strength of God, the spirit of God to work in us. The Bible says that Paul said in Philippians, I'm confident in this very thing, which he began a good work in you and perform it until the day of Christ. But we've got to let God work in us. We've got to apply scripture to us. We've got to fill our minds with it instead of allowing the world to fill, to fill our minds with all that this world has to, to offer. And the truth is, it's got more than enough to, 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 to take up your time and to take all your thoughts and all your, all your, all your effort. And God help us. God spoke it to your heart just this afternoon. I, I encourage you. Marge's going to play a song here. I'm not sure what she's going to play. Uh, we won't sing. God spoke to your heart. Let's take a few minutes just to pray. Pray for ourselves. Pray for one another. Pray for our church. That God would help us to grow and become that mature man. God spoke to your heart. The altar's open. You can come and pray. God's, if God's laid someone on your heart, come and pray. Let's pray and ask God to help us to become the, the body of Christ, the, the, the building fitly joined together, unified in the spirit. Uh, that he's called us to be.